Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. passage of scripture familiar to many, uh, but perhaps not all, and just ask the Lord to touch us this morning. In the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, and if you if you are a book of Acts reader, then many of you could quote this, but the Bible says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. There's something that happens. There's an aftermath when someone receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There's something, there's something indeed unique that happens when you receive the Holy Ghost. I want to talk about that today. And if you're here this morning and you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're in the right place at the right time because you can... The Lord wants you to have it. He wants you to receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Bible says that after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me. And from that, I want to just preach about that this morning, witnesses unto me. God bless you, and you can be seated. Thank you for standing. The power of God moving and working in a person's life uh, has a lasting effect. I believe that... You can't have a real experience with God. I'm not talking about a passive, passing experience, but I'm talking about a real experience with God. You can't have a real experience with God without it leaving a lasting mark, a lasting effect. How many people remember where you were when you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Amen. All those details that just come rushing back in. It's, it's, an, it's an experience beyond anything that we can truly explain. But perhaps none is more detailed in Scripture than that in the life of the Apostle Paul. So three times in the book of Acts, the conversion of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who would later be known as Paul, three times in the book of Acts, the conversion of Saul is mentioned or it is, it's described. So one time is by Luke as he shares it more uh, as a historical fact. He shares it in the context of just a historical fact in Acts chapter 9. Then again in Acts 22, Paul shares his own dramatic conversion. And if you know anything about that conversion, it is just indeed that. It was a dramatic, it was a life-altering moment. And then in verses 6 through 16 in, in Acts 22, Paul describes all the things that the Lord did to him and through him in that moment. And then the third time that this, trans, that this transformation is uh, described is found in Acts 26. And so as Paul stands before Agrippa, he's not standing there as a preacher, but he's standing there as a prisoner. And when he speaks uh, about the defense of his life, he methodically rec recounts 
his conversion story. He's sharing his testimony in Acts chapter 26. And so I want, with the help of the Lord, to use these three uh, accounts and underline the different facets, I believe, in which we have this experience and just drawing from his life and then pulling that into our own story. And in doing so, I want to share the result of what the Holy Ghost can do in a person's life. I could not stand here and give you all the bullet points today because everybody has their own story to tell of what the Holy Ghost did for them. But I just want to, I want to talk about this witnesses unto me or what happens whenever in the aftermath of somebody receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, the moment of receiving the Holy Ghost is an incredible moment. Don't want to take away from that at all. But it is all played out in a very unique way because we are all unique individuals and we've all received this experience in our own fashion. But I believe that first, that for an authentic, salvific experience to take place in a person's life, that God is going to first use someone else's life to impact yours or mine. And somehow their life is going to be a living testimony. And that is the case of the Apostle Paul. When we look at the Apostle Paul, we wonder who would that person be that was that testimony? Who was that witness to him? Well, that witness to him was not what we might think about in the sense of a modern day witness. It did not come to him by way of a home Bible study. It didn't come to him by way of a revival or a camp meeting. But the Apostle Paul had a witness, a person that told him and talked to him and shared with him. I'm not talking about necessarily verbally talked to him, but shared with him about what the power of God can do in a person's life. And that first witness was actually the first martyr that we find in the New Testament church, and that was Stephen, the first martyr. Years later, speaking before an audience that wanted him to die, the Apostle Paul shares these words in Acts 22 and 20. He said, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And so this was not Stephen with a Bible in his hand talking about what the, ha the hand of God could do or what the power of God could do in a person's life. But this was Stephen, a martyr, Stephen being stoned. It was Stephen standing for truth. It was Stephen allowing the spirit and the power of God to not only flow through him, but to, to shine through him. So the conversion of Saul began in this very personal witness of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, as well as the, the gospel of the book of Luke. Amen. So the question would be this. How, how did Luke, how did Luke years later recount every word? How did he recount every syllable that Stephen said? Well, I think the, the answer to that should be apparent to us in Scripture. How is it that Luke know, knew everything that unfolded? I believe the way he knew that is because Saul of Tarsus was right there when it happened. Amen. There was something powerful that unfolded before his eyes. He wasn't there trying to be a new convert. He wasn't there because he was hungry to learn more about this Jesus in a gospel way. But I believe that every word of Stephen's message burned like fire in the heart of Saul. And that's what the Lord meant 
appearing to Saul on the road to Damascus when he said, he said, Saul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It is hard for you to kick against the goads because you know, you know too much to be able to resist his tries you may. But he could never drown the message nor could he drown the death of Stephen from his mind. He could not erase from his memory Stephen's prayer of forgiveness. As he was taking his last breath, he was asking the Lord to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. He was looking into heaven, beholding the power and the hand of God himself. And the look on his face, I believe, was forever branded in his heart and mind. And so the first, so first I believe that a conversion is always going to be the result of someone's witness. No matter what that witness may be or how it comes about, I believe that we all remember the first person that touched our life. That first person that was that faithful individual. It may have been your parents. It could have been a family member. It may have been a Sunday school teacher. Uh, maybe it was a preacher, a pastor, evangelist. Or it may have been several people that God used to impact your life that you begin to look at them. And so their witness not, was not necessarily with the Bible open before you. Amen. But their witness was their life. Their life's testimony of what God had done in their life. I believe that secondly we can see not only has there, is there going to be a witness, somebody that touches us, somebody that impacts our life. I, I begin to think about all of this in the last couple of days and especially last night trying to wrap up all of this and my mind just went to several people who really impacted my life. They're not preachers, they're not well-known. Uh, some of you may know their names if I called their names, but they're, they're not global, they don't have global or international ministries, but they were just faithful people that just kept praying and believing and people that just impacted my life by living the life that they were living. Secondly, I believe that, uh, that, that something that happens in our life is that we ourselves begin our own walk with God. A personal experience. Aren't you thankful that, that for some of us, the witness of somebody else has now been born in our heart and we ourselves have our own experience. I don't have to look back at them. I can look back at them, but now it's with great memories. But today I've got my own personal experience. I'm thankful that I, what I know about God. I've got a lot to learn yet, but I'm thankful for what I do know about the Lord. Acts 9 and 6 says, And Saul and saw trembling and astonished said on this road to Damascus, Lord, what would thou have me to do? This is now turned. This wasn't about what God had done in the life of Stephen or even in the death of Stephen, but now this had gotten very personal because the Lord had appeared to him on the road to Damascus and his, his reply is now what do you want me to do? This was more than just somebody else. This was not another voice, but now it has taken a very personal tone, turn. To date, to this moment, Paul had been a rabid persecutor of the church, but now we find him humbled by the power of God a blinding power. Amen. God touched him and he was a changed man. He indeed, even on the road to Damascus, in that moment, while he had a lot to learn, he was a changed man in that moment. And so it is in every life. The moment 
when we conscientiously surrender our lives to God. I asked you a moment ago if you remembered where you were when you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you remember that, you probably also remember where you were in your mind and in your will. I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. I've surrendered myself completely to you because the Lord can only come into a totally surrendered life, a totally surrendered heart. In a moment of total surrender to God, that is where we met Him. I can't say that everybody receives the Holy Ghost the same way. And what I mean by that, I can't say that everybody see, receives the Holy Ghost the same way emotionally because we're all, while we're all created equal, we certainly are all created differently. The Bible says, David says, fearfully, wonderfully made. Everybody unique. And so our emotional makeup somewhat shapes the response that we have. Amen. Some people may weep when they feel the presence of God. Other people are more jubilant in their spirit. They may laugh or shout when they feel the presence of God. But some people may be of a more stoic nature and, and they show their emotions in a different way. However, the infilling of the Holy Ghost is going to reveal itself somehow. Amen. And the power of the Holy Ghost is not based on some emotional manifestation on my part. The Lord doesn't, it doesn't matter to the Lord that I'm laughing and not crying or crying and not laughing. It doesn't matter to the Lord. What the Lord is looking at is the condition of my heart and the absolute surrender of my will. And so I think that we should not assume somebody is going to do it just like you, you had it or your experience is going to be the same for others or others are going to be the same for you. Amen. As I said, some may cry and others may shout. Amen. But it's not the tears that make the difference and it's not the rejoicing that makes the difference. What makes the difference is that moment of surrender to the Lord because when a surrendered person receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they're going to receive that whether they're shouting, they're going to receive that whether they're weeping. Amen. There's going to be one one, however common sign and that one common sign found in scripture amen is going to be the fact that they're going to be speaking with other tongues unknown tongues amen the Bible says in Acts 2 4 and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance tongues is not a class that we teach it's not something we try to talk somebody through or talk them into. Amen. The power of the Holy Ghost is going to move in a heart. They may be shouting and dancing to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking other tongues. Somebody else may be different. Their hands are lifted in tears just gently coming down their face. But when they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there's going to be evidence of speaking with other tongues. Amen. No matter what the emotional makeup, what God is looking for is the heart. He's not counting the tears. He's not counting how high you jump. He's not counting how, how jubilant we are. God is looking at our heart. Amen. I, don't, I will tell you today that I, I admit that the Holy Ghost and Pentecost is an emotional experience. I'm an emotional person, but don't think it's just merely emotions because what we feel here today is the raw presence and the power of God. Amen. I do appreciate the songs that we heard. I appreciate the words that were shared with us, but I'm going to tell you, our movement, we weren't gyrating to the music. We weren't moving to the beat of the drum or the bass guitar. Amen. What we feel is the power and the presence of God because he said, if I be 
be lifted up. I will draw all men unto me. You can't praise God in a bubble. When you begin to praise God, something begins to break loose. There's something powerful that's found in praise. Praise God. Someone's not going to receive the Holy Ghost just because they're emotional. They're going to receive the Holy Ghost because they surrendered to the Lord. Because we're not saved by feelings. Because feelings can be fickle. Sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down. And sometimes there's a short runway in between. Feelings can be fickle. A person is converted because they made a sober decision. I have decided. I've made up my mind. Amen. Paul went from being a villain to saying, Lord, what would thou have me to do? Amen. What would you want me to do? This is not about the person down the road. This is not about anybody else. Well, what would you have me to do? It became a very personal experience. But I believe then as we continue in this thought that we're going to have somebody that witnesses to us, somebody that encourages or influences us to a personal experience ourselves. But our own personal experience is going to make us an influencer. It's going to make the church a witness. Amen. The church, not a foreign entity. Say, that's me. Amen. That's me. The church is going to make me an influencer. It's going to make me a witnesses. He said, you, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you're going to become witnesses unto me. This is not about you. This is not about your voice. This is not about your skill. This is not about your talent. But you're going to be a witness unto me. So no matter how powerful our initial experience with God may be, amen, there are some, unre- there are some irrevocable truths that must be followed. In Acts 22, as Paul describes his conversion, the Lord appeared to him, amen, on this Damascus road, and he told him where to go. And he said, when you get there, you're going to be told what you need to do. Now, we know the other side of that story is that the Lord had gone before Saul. He didn't just talk to Saul about where he needed to go, but he scared the living life out of a man by the name of Ananias. And he said, Ananias, I'm going to send Paul, Saul to you. And I want you to tell him what he needs to do. I'm going to tell you this was not a good message. This was not an easy message to hear. Are you sure you want me to be the one to do this? Do you know that he's, he is a murdering uh, maniac? He is, he's abusing and, and defiling the very name of God. But the Lord had gone before him, appeared to Ananias. And it was Ananias who prayed for him, who had the guts to pray for him. And when his eyes were restored, he was blinded by this experience according to the word of God. But when his eyes were restored, Ananias said to him in Acts 22 and 14, he said, the God of our fathers has chosen thee. Amen. God has chosen you. A moment ago, he was saying, what would you have me to do? And Ananias was confirming that the Lord has chosen you. In verse 16, he went on to say, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. Because you see, baptism is a very essential part of salvation. And I just want to put a footnote here and tell you don't ever let anybody convince you otherwise. Baptism is an essential part of salvation. 
And there perhaps is no better illustration than this, than it's what is found in the book of Acts as Philip the evangelist was preaching a revival, a red hot revival. And the Lord said to Philip, I need you to go. Amen, I need you to leave this revival. And I need you to go into a desert place. Amen, he may have wondered in his own mind, why would you send me from here to there? But it wasn't long before Philip found out why the Lord had sent him to the desert because he came upon a man who was the treasurer of Ethiopia and this man was sitting in his chariot. He was reading through the scroll of Isaiah and when Philip heard him reading, he said, understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand what it is that you're reading? And here it was, he said, how can I except some man show me? Philip this is why this is why I moved you from here to over here because here's a man that's hungry and a man that's thirsty and Philip wisely amen the Bible says in Acts 8 and 35 that Philip he wisely began to preach to him Jesus from right where he was reading and I just want to tell you that all of the scripture points to Jesus it doesn't really matter where you start it doesn't really matter where you put your finger we're going to take them from there to Jesus but now watch what happened as he began to preach to him Jesus nowhere do we hear Philip talking to him about the necessity of baptism nowhere do we see that he breaks out now this is one thing we need to discuss we're going to forget about Isaiah just a minute and we're going to talk about this but there was something that followed that surrendered heart as he began to hear about the power of Jesus being preached from Isaiah amen something began to stir in his heart why because it was a surrendered heart it was a heart like the apostle Paul that said what you want me to do Lord where do you want me to go what would you have me do amen I could also say it was a heart a surrendered heart like the hearts that are in this house who also said what do you want me to do Lord I'll just give myself to you I put my life in your hands amen and the Bible says that that what followed is in Acts 8 and 36 that he said unto him here is water what would hinder me to be baptized and the Bible says that they went down into to the water. I want to tell you something. When we surrender our heart to God, His Spirit is going to lead us and guide us. Can somebody help me say it now? Into all truth. Amen. There's going to everything that's missing. Everywhere there's an absence, the Spirit of the Lord is going to say, you need to fill this void. It doesn't mean that we know it all and God just reveals it all in one moment, but we realize there's something empty. We didn't even know it was empty yesterday. We didn't know it was void just an hour ago. But he said, here is water and what doth hinder me to be baptized. Hallelujah. Amen. One was, here are two men, two men that are standing at the same intersection Amen. These two men were both being obedient to the call that was upon their life, their individual life. One man was there, Philip, and his call was to baptize. But the other man there, the eunuch, his, his call or his longing was to be baptized. Aren't you thankful that when God showed you a void and revealed a void in your life that he didn't leave you at the intersection alone but he had somebody else obeying the call of God. Amen. And so he didn't just feel a need to be baptized and then not know what to do with it but God had put a man in his life to baptize him. Praise God. There are people 
uh, perhaps that read Acts 22 and 16 and, and they, are read, they read the scripture arise and be baptized and, and, and maybe they think that it's the water of baptism that washes away their sin. Amen. They think maybe it's just something special about the water. That's what's going to help me. But I just want to tell you today that it is not the water that washes away our sin. The water that we feel that baptistry with is the same water that we water the lawn with. The water that we feel the baptistry with is the same water that you wash your hands with. It's the same water that comes from the same well that's found in our drinking fountain. Amen. I'm going to tell you it's not the water that removes sin. But First John 1 and 7 said, And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is not just about a getting wet experience. This is not just about going through some religious rite. Amen. This is not just about following some religious path. Amen. That's why. That's why we call on his name. We now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. Why? Because it's not the water that's going to wash away the sin, but it's the blood. It's the power of the blood. It's the power of the name applied. Amen. That's going to wash away those sins. Praise God. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all. Do all in the name of Jesus. So in obedience. So in obedience to Acts 2.38. And in harmony with Acts 8. Where Philip was with the Ethiopian eunuch. And in harmony with Acts 9. When Saul's his own life and conversion. In harmony with Acts 10 with Cornelius. And in harmony with Acts 19 the disciples of John. And in, in Acts 22 and 16, the Bible says, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Because we're gonna baptize you in the only name that has the power to do anything about our sins. Because absent his name, we're just gonna get wet. Absent the power and the blood of his name, it's just gonna be something that we do. But our sins are washed away. Aren't you thankful? I said a moment ago, you remember where you were when you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? and so let me ask you do you remember where you were when you went down in that watery grave and we came out renewed and refreshed and restored hallelujah amen revelation 1 and 5 says unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood praise God somebody has to be a witness amen somebody had to be a witness for the for Saul, and that was Stephen. Somebody had to listen to that witness. Somebody had to be moved by that witness. And that was Saul to, to become Paul. And then somebody had to become a witness. And again, that was the apostle Paul. But it is also us, the church. Somebody has to become a witness. The Bible says in Acts 26 and 16, Arise, Stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. And here's the purpose that God called Paul. To make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. I didn't just call you to call you. I didn't call you because you were special. 
I didn't call you because you were talented. I didn't call you because you were gifted. But I'm going to make of thee a minister. I'm going to make of thee a witness. You're going to witness of the things that thou hast seen. And you're going to witness of the things that I'm going to reveal to you. Amen. There's some things you already have. You've experienced it. But there's going to be some things that I'm going to reveal to you along the way. Amen. I believe that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that that experience ought to come with a desire to share this experience with everybody that you can and if not we should ask ourselves why because if we receive something so life changing then why would we not want to share this with everyone we know we've got something too big to keep to ourselves you can see it all through scripture you can see it all through life people like Jeremiah Jeremiah 20 We read Jeremiah 20 and we see him preaching. And while doing so, while he's preaching the word, the chief governor seized him, beat him, and put him in stocks. And in a moment of true confession, transparent honesty, he said in verse 7, I am in derision daily. I am under persecution daily. I am being mocked daily. Amen. People come by, they mock me, they ridicule me. And because of that, Jeremiah in his flesh and in his heart, he said, I will not speak of him any longer and I will not talk in his name or deliver his word. I'm done. I mean, this, this, this come with too big of a price tag. I'm done. However, he goes on to say, but his word was in my heart. As a burning fire shut up in my bones. And then he said, a moment ago I was weary because of all the persecution. A moment ago I was weary because of all the mocking. A moment ago I was weary because I had been beaten and put in stocks. But now he said, I am weary with forbearing. I'm weary with trying to keep the fire put out. I'm weary with trying to push my testimony back down. And he said, and I cannot stay. Jeremiah could not stop the wellspring that was bubbling up in his heart. Amen. Why? Because when we, are receive, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we're called to be witnesses unto him. I just got to tell it somewhere. I just got to share it with everybody that I know. I want to ask our musicians to come if they will. And while they're coming, I want to, I don't think it would be really fair to just mention one Bible character, but I want to mention also Amos. Amos was what many deem and have noted as to be more like the common man's preacher. The Apostle Paul was very eloquent. Amen. He was a very educated man. I'm not suggesting that Amos was an ignorant man, but the Apostle Paul was a very eloquent man. And and all you have to do is just read the first opening verses of any epistle, any letter of Paul, and you can just see the eloquent speech with which he just approaches everything. And then on the other side of that, we we have a man like Amos. Amos, the common man's preacher. There was, just seems to me to be a, a plainness, a plainness bound up in the words of Amos. However, in the heart and in the mind and in the spirit of this common man's preacher, there was also a fire that was shut up in his bones. In the seventh chapter, we find Amos in the court of Jeroboam. He's delivering the word of God. And then the Bible says that 
Amaziah tries to silence him, a man by the name of Amaziah. And so Amaziah comes to Amos and he says, you need to go to Judah with all this prophecy stuff and let there not be any more prophecy in, in Bethel. And you just need to take that somewhere else. This is one of the many instances in history where someone tried to stop the mouth of the prophets of God. Amen. I will tell you that far and wide, men and women have been persecuted for preaching the gospel. We see it in scripture, but we also see it in history. So it is Amaziah that says to Amos, go back to Judah. Go back where you came from. Go witness to them. We don't want to hear all this here. But I believe that we ought to lean in and listen very carefully and closely to the words of this simple man of God. Because when they said, you need to go somewhere else with this message, Amos looked at Amaziah and said, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I may not have a lot of credentials. I may not have a lot of letters behind my name. He went on to say, I'm just a simple herdsman and I'm just a gatherer of fruit. But watch this next statement. He said, but the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go and prophesy unto my people. So how is it that we could be used of God mightily? Just follow the Lord. Amen. And we follow the Lord. And as we begin to follow the Lord, he was doing what he was really accustomed to doing. Doing what he was born to do, if we could put it that way. He said, but I'm I'm just a herdsman. I'm just a gatherer of fruit. But as I was doing what God had sent me on this earth to do, he began to use me and elevate me. Amen. And I'm going to tell you that if we will do what God called us to do, then he will call us, in the, or in the words of Amos, he will take us and use us as he will. That's what the Lord said. So how do I find the will of God? Just keep doing what you're doing. And the Lord will take you. Amen. He'll elevate you where you need to be. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand, if you will, today. Many years ago, I read an illustration, and I haven't thought about this. It's a true story. But early this morning, I was reading, and I, and I, came, across, I came across this story again, and I think it's so fitting. Because this is where we are. Certainly where we could be, any of us be. But in 1949, in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, so this didn't take place in some far region of the world somewhere, but in 1949, in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, a young man, 16 years old, by the name of John Courier, was, uh, in his own words, he had been drinking, just a young boy, and he was squirrel hunting. And while squirrel hunting, he accidentally shot and killed a man. He was found guilty of murder and at the age of 16 was sentenced to life in prison. Later, he was transferred and paroled to work on a farm near Nashville, Tennessee. And in 1968, 19 years into a life sentence, his sentence was overturned. And a letter bearing the good news of his overturned sentence was sent to him. But John never received the letter. 
Life on the farm was hard. Life on the farm had no promise of the future. But John just kept doing what he was told. Even after the original farmer that he went to work for died. Ten years passed. He was still working on the farm. When a state parole officer learned about John's plight, found him and told him that his sentence had been terminated, overturned, and that he was a free man. So, the man who wrote the article, George Sweating, concluded this story by asking this question. He said, Would it matter to you if someone sent you the most important message in your life and year after year that message was never delivered? How much would that matter to you? And so I ask you today and I ask myself, amen, the most important letter that we could ever have is the truth that's bound up in this word. I don't know the details of where the letter went, how that missed its target, how it missed its mark, and that's not the point of my message today. But the point of my message is this, is that we have a, a, a letter of liberty, a letter of freedom to tell somebody, you don't have to keep living like this. You don't have to keep working on this farm without a future. You don't have to keep living in sin with no hope. And so if we have this letter, why would we not deliver this letter. If we have this truth, why would we not share this truth? We've heard the gospel, not just heard the gospel, but we've experienced its freedom. And now we are responsible to help free people that have been enslaved by sin. Paul, Saul, holding coats, he needed a witness. And God gave him Stephen. But he became a witness. Amen. He had a personal experience and he became a witness. And today we are where we are because of all of those things. Somebody was a witness. It led us to a personal experience with God. Undeniable. But we're not just to go find a place on a pew and sit down. But we've got to take that example. Amen. I'm not suggesting that everybody does that in the same exact fashion. But we need to tell it wherever we go. Every opportunity. Amen. I'm thankful today to be filled with His Spirit, aren't you? Amen. But if you're here today and you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can have it. I mentioned that a moment ago. I meant it. Amen. The power of the Lord wants to transform your life. He wants to make a difference today. What a shame it would be to just preach and walk away without saying, why don't you come drink of this well? Amen. I want the church to pray. Let's pray and ask God to let this word find its place in the heart. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.